0: Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand. This is Pastor Joe Faldette, and today's sermon is a well, the second sermon in a series looking at Ephesians 4. And today's sermon is going to be focusing on 12 through 15 as we look at unity and how do we build unity as the church. For our sermon today, we're going to continue to looking at Ephesians 4. And today I'm going to be reading Ephesians 4, 12 through 15. It's kind of in the middle. I apologize for that. Uh, This is the second sermon in the series. And so if you want to see what was earlier, please listen to diversity. Today's sermon is entitled Unity. They read in Jesus' name. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, to seek, to ask the question, how do we apply these things to our lives? How do we live them out? Lord, we ask that you would bless this time. Father, that you would grant me words that I would understand what you have for us here. Father, I thank you. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this, you know, we just took last sermon to talk about what's, who are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds. Who are they? What do they do? Uh, and why do they do what they do? They're striving to Bring us to a place of unity. And so God gives us diversity, but not diversity so we can simply have diversity, but rather diversity so that we can come to that unity of Christ likeness. Because we all have places where we miss, we all have weaknesses, we all have gaps. And so we're called to come to that place of unity, which is Christ likeness, that we would be the mature manhood of Christ, that we would exemplify that in ourselves. And so, because of that, we have to ask the question well, how does that work? How does that happen? So these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, they are given with the gift of teaching. They are given to equip the saints because that's the first step. How do we work towards this unity? It's by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, what does that mean? To equip, this is a Well, it's a Greek word that's used when a fisherman is mending his nets. And so here we read, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so if you're, if you're working on your nets, you're a fisherman, you're working on your nets, you're doing two things. The first one is mending. It's fixing those things that are broken, fixing those gaps, fixing those weaknesses. You are healing your nets. Because this is one of the realities that we exist at as Christians. As we're off doing ministry, we're going to get beaten up. As we're off doing ministry, Satan is going to attack. This is one of the realities of Christianity. Satan is going to attack us. Because Satan doesn't want to give up any of his ground. And so as we're doing the ministry that God has called us to, as we're pursuing the ministry that God has called us to, as we're living lives in this world as Christians, we're just living out our callings as father or as mother, as child, as son or daughter, as husband or as wife, as laborer, as employee, as employer. It doesn't matter what callings you have. As you're living those out, Satan is going to attack you. And you are going to need healing. You are going to need restoration. You are going to need that balm of Gilead that they talked about of old. You're going to need that. And so that's one of the purposes of the church, of the body as a whole, of the people who have these gifts. It's to heal the saints to equip them, to mend those places where they've been ripped and where they've been torn and where they've been beaten up and where they've been weakened. That's what we're called to do. This isn't just the pastors. This is everybody who lives within those callings. This is everybody who has those giftings to have support and encouragement, to recast vision, to have compassion, to have care. We're going to need those things. We're going to need those things. And so we need to be equipped. We need to be mended. We need to be healed. But the other aspect of equipping is adding to it that which is necessary that it might do its job better. And so if you've got this net and it needs some floats for this time, then you equip it with those floats. It's kind of like um, tooling something up or um, giving an armament. You know, giving the tools necessary for the job. Giving the arms necessary for the job. You know, you need a, a sword or a spear or a bow and arrow for this job. We're going to give that to you. And so the purpose of the church then is to assist in giving the the tools necessary to do the work of ministry. How does a Christian mother be a mother? How do you know how to do that? How does a Christian father be a father that represents God? How does a Christian son interact with his parents? How does a Christian daughter interact with his parents? If it's not for the church, how do you know how to do those things? If it's not for the people of God teaching you those things, how do you know how to do those things? How is a congregant supposed to act, a parishioner? How are they supposed to act? How is a pastor supposed to act? How is a deacon supposed to act? How is a trustee supposed to act? How are all these people supposed to act? How should we be doing this? How do I best do the job that God has given me? How do I do that? Those are valid questions. And those questions are answered through equipping. To give the equipment, to give the tools, to give the armament necessary to do the job. Because we all need to be taught in these things. How does the evangelist evangelize? They need to be equipped. These aren't just things that we do. Nobody just does things. A child who's never learned, who never learns to talk, who's never taught how to talk, they're not around people who talk. You know, you, get these, you hear these stories, not really anymore, but in days of old, you hear these stories of children that, are, that grow up in the woods, that grow up with wolves or something of that sort. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how. Why? Well, because wolves don't talk. They need someone to show them, to teach them, to equip them. And so also the Christian, in all aspects of Christianity, we need people to equip us. Why do I know what I know? It's not because I was born knowing this stuff. It's because I had teachers, I had pastors, I had caring, loving individuals in my life that equipped me with these gifts. They gave me them. And then I took them and I exercised with them and practiced with them and got better at them, hopefully. But nevertheless, they were still taught to me somewhere along the line. And so we equip the saints for the work of ministry. We heal those things which are hurting those things which are broken, those things which have been torn and need mending, we heal those things. And then we tool them up so that they might be able to do the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. To build it up. Verse 12, for building up the body of Christ. That's why these people have been given. Because the body of Christ is not complete at any point in this world. We're not complete. We don't have everything we need. That's really the, the the sad reality of Christianity. You know, people get mad at churches and then they leave because of this thing or that thing. It's like there is no perfect church. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect friend. They don't exist in this world, at this level. And so everything needs this equipping, this building up. We need to look at the church and say, this could be better. Let's strive to make this better. Let's build them up. Let's teach them. Let's train them. Let's equip them for the work of ministry because otherwise the work of ministry doesn't get done. So let's equip the saints. Let's equip the church, the whole body of Christ, Every aspect, every person needs to be equipped and equipped for their different callings and their different vocations. An employee needs to be equipped differently than an employer because they have different callings and different vocations. Well but how do we do that equipping? How do we build that unity? How do we bring this diversity, which are all called to equip the saints, meaning each other as well, The apostles to equip the pastor and the pastors to equip the prophet. The prophets to equip the evangelist. How do we do that? How do we take that diversity and draw it all together? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 15. So I'm going to skip a portion, which is the benefits that we have from being united in Christ, being mature in Christ. I'm going to talk about those next week. And so verses 13 and 14 I'm going to talk about next week. This week I'm going to talk about 15 because I really want to emphasize the how. How do we do this? Rather, Paul says, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Or as, yeah, I'm not going to make the joke. Speaking the truth in love. Now note this. Paul's not saying speaking the truth or loving because those things aren't distinct from each other. The truth, loving the truth is a part of love. And so we speak the truth in love. And so this is a, um, that word speaking there. In verse 15, speaking the truth in love is a present participle so this is talking about this is telling us that it's through this communication it's through verbal communication it's not just through lifestyle it's not just through action action and lifestyle are super important because they reinforce and they lay the groundwork for the words but we need to be speaking this stuff out holding it back not saying it letting it fester until you finally blow up and then speak the truth but speak the truth in anger that's what Paul's saying. We can't be doing this. We need to be constantly speaking the truth in love. And so that in love bounds how we speak the truth. If I can't speak the truth in love, I need to stop and cool down so that I can present the truth in love. If I'm speaking the truth in anger, I'm sinning because I'm not obeying the commandment of God if I am not speaking the truth, if I'm just sucking it in and hiding it and not clarifying these things, then I'm sinning. I need to repent because God has told us this is what we ought to do. This is how we live as Christians together, speaking the truth in love. And so the Christian that doesn't proclaim the truth, even to their own congregation, they're sinning. So, what does it mean to speak it in love? Well, in order to properly understand that, I want to draw you to 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the, the love passage, uh, as I was preaching through this at a wedding, I, I got to thinking about how these two passages, 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 4, really dovetail together and they teach us then how we ought to be interacting with each other, how we ought to be blessing, and how we ought to be correcting each other in the church for the equipping of the saints. Because in order to equip properly you need to be speaking the truth in love. In order to be building up the body of Christ. In order to heal. In order to tool up. In order to build up. We need to be speaking the truth in love. What does that mean? How do we do that? Love is patient and kind. Now, I have in my in my sermon notes in kind. And what does that mean? That means that we treat others as we would have them. We treat others as we would have them treat us. That's what kindness is. That's actually the golden rule broken down into one word. So if you pay someone back in kind, that means you pay them back what they gave you. And so if you give me you know, a bushel of corn and you want me to pay it back, but pay it back at a later day, I can pay you back in kind. I can give you another bushel of corn. And so then I pay you back in kind. No problem. So if we're kind to others, that means we're treating others as we would like to be treated. And that ties right into patience. Because why are we patient with others? Because I don't know anybody that likes it when others are impatient with them. You know, why do we show patience to others? Also, it takes people a long time to change. You can't just expect people to change right now. Patience is saying, I know that this is going to take some time. But because of that, I'm going to treat you like you like I would want to be treated. I'm going to treat you properly. I'm going to treat you in patience. I'm going to treat you according to the golden rule. I'm going to treat you like I would like to be treated. And so we interact with people in that manner. Love is patient and kind. It treats others like they would like, like I would want to be treated. I treat others then. If I'm loving them, I'm treating them like I would want to be treated. Patient and kind. How else? Love does not envy or boast. Love, if I'm loving you, that means I don't see myself as being someone who's below you wishing that I had what you have. Nor do I see someone above you bragging about what I have. Nor do I see someone that's trying to get above you by bragging about what I have, by boasting. So I don't see you either as being above me and so envying you or as me being above you and so boasting. But rather, I see you as a peer. We're on the same level here, because in front of the cross, ground is level. It's not that one is greater than another. It's that one has that gift, and another has this gift. The one has that calling, and the other has that calling. And so we're peers. And so then I have obligations and responsibilities to you, and you have obligations and responsibilities to me. So that means when I do something wrong, or when I do something well, There's obligations and responsibilities. I can look at that and say, hey, they've performed their calling well. They've performed their vocation well. Praise God for that. Love doesn't envy or boast. Love sees the other person as a peer and understands that all of these things exist at a level playing field. This person's got that gift. This person's got that gift. Praise God. We're all level. It's not that this person's better than that person because this person has that gift. No. This person's in that position because they've got that gift. It is not arrogant or rude. So how do you interact with someone when you have to correct them? If you have leverage on that person, you can be arrogant and rude because arrogant and rude says i know better i am better and it's putting oneself at a position above those who haven't come to that same conclusion yet i'm better because of this i am better because of that and you probably wouldn't say that but you can know if you believe that by act by seeing watching your own actions are you being arrogant towards that person are you being rude If you are, you are acting out your belief that you're better than that person. Because love is not arrogant or rude. Love sees everybody at that level playing field. Well, I've come to this first. That doesn't make me better. That gives me an obligation. That gives me an obligation to teach this. That gives me an obligation to live this out. That gives me an obligation to share this. I'm supposed to be speaking this truth. That's how I'm doing this. I've come to that conclusion. Now I need to be speaking it. And I need to be speaking it in love. Not arrogantly, not rudely. Because, you know, this doesn't make me better. I'm just there first. That's because God opened my eyes to see it. And now he has a calling on me to share it. The person who's arrogant and rude, they're the one that's in authority. They're the one that can speak down to the other people. We can't act like that. That's not love. It's pride. Pride and love are antithetical towards each other. Pride is the exaltation of the self. It does not insist on its own way. Now remember, this is speaking the truth in love. And so it insists, love insists on the true way because we see later there where Paul says it does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. And so we're not talking about moral things here. We're not saying, well, you know what? You can go and sleep around. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, do it. That's not what this is talking about because it's not at a moral level that we approach these things means it does not insist on its own way. Well, I have my way of doing this, but it's not really a biblical way. That's just the way that I do things. Here's why I do it that way. Why do you do things the way that you do them? Why do you ask those questions? Why do you act that way? It doesn't insist on its own way. Rather, love strives to understand. No, it's got to be done my way. We've got to fold the socks. This way, we've got to fold the pants that way. We've got to fold the shirts that way. Like, why? That's not actually loving. That's just stubbornness. And that's a fruit of pride. That's the I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't like it when I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this way. Well, this isn't this just isn't the way it should be. It's like, well, why shouldn't it be that way? Well, this is the way that I grew up. So? If it's a moral question, that's one thing. If it's just stubbornness, I'm just going to insist on my own way. Paul says here, that's not love. And so if I'm supposed to speak the truth in love, I can speak the truth and say, you know, I really like this way. But if, if if it's in love, it doesn't continue that and say, so therefore that's what we must be doing. I really like it this way, but because I'm supposed to speak that in love, we can try your way. We can try that way. No problem. As long as it's not a moral question, as long as it's not going against the commands of God, we can grow into those things. We can try these things. So it approaches The methods, a humility. Love. It is not irritable or resentful. Whew. Think about that. So I have this titled Without Expectations. I didn't know exactly how to title this because it's not not having expectations. It's actually more so about being flexible with those expectations. So I was, I was contemplating this, like, how do I explain this? Um, we had a thing at the park about well, 10 years ago now it's called St. Jams. And when I was there, I was talking to a pastor, uh, to a minister. I was talking to a minister who was there. I don't know if he was a pastor at that point or not. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But I was talking to a minister. And they were looking at some of the other pastors that were just sitting doing nothing and this minister was actively trying to act with these kids you know because it was a big band and they had a bunch of kids around a bunch of youth and so this minister was actively acting with these youth trying to strike up conversations trying to share the gospel with these youth and I was talking to him because I was doing the same thing and he was looking at those other pastors "Ah, it's terrible it's terrible these pastors they should be pastors they're not acting like pastors they're just sitting there talking amongst themselves what's wrong with these people? And that bothered me, and I didn't know why, and so I thought about that, and I thought about that for years. Why was that minister so irritated and so resentful towards these other pastors? Because love is not resentful, or is not irritable or resentful. Not irritable or resentful. Yep, that was the word. Sorry, I've got a couple of translations floating around up there. He had expectations that this is what a minister, this is what a pastor is supposed to be, and these people aren't fulfilling my expectations. So he's irritated. He's kind of resentful at them because they weren't doing as much as he was because that was his expectation. They weren't working as hard as he was because that was his expectation. They weren't doing their job because that was his expectation. So he's irritated at them and he's feeling resentful towards them. And so he wasn't willing to shift those expectations to actually meet People that he was interacting with, he just held on to his own expectations as being the right expectations. He wasn't willing to shift them. He wasn't willing to flex them. We always have expectations with people, so maybe I should just put flexible expectations. Are we we willing to allow those expectations to shift, or are we just going to hold people to our expectations? Now, to hold someone to a biblical expectation, that's a different matter. But to hold someone to an opinion-based expectation or a tradition-based expectation. It's not legitimate. And so if you find yourself becoming irritable or resentful, it's because you have unmoving expectations. And God calls you to be more flexible because he says, that's not love. That's not love. Repent of that. And love, speaking the truth in love, irritably or resentfully not holding them to expectations that they can't meet or that you don't have any right to hold them to they're supposed to be speaking the truth in love it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth so love is always pursuing that which is right that which is correct That which is godly. And so, speaking the truth in love is speaking the truth, seeking godliness in other people, seeking building up, seeking equipping, seeking healing, seeking tooling. That's what love is. Love is always pursuing those things. And so, when Paul tells us here that we are supposed to be speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth, seeking righteousness. In the lives of these people, we don't speak truth in order to break them down. We don't speak truth in order to hurt them. We don't speak truth in order to exalt ourselves. We speak truth so that they might stop doing the wrong that they're doing and start walking in that truth. And so that's why we're not to be arrogant or rude. That's why we're supposed to be patient and kind. That's why all of these manners of doing it, because that's our goal. Our goal is that the world might walk in love. That's the goal. And finally, love is an act of faith. So we speak the truth in faith. Because you look at the end of this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. How are we able to do that? How are we able to, to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things if our reliance isn't on God? If our reliance isn't on God, we can't do those things because we're going to be burned. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be disappointed. You know? That means that we're trying to love out of our own strength instead of loving in faith towards God. We're trusting in our own abilities, our own capabilities, our own reasoning, our own words. We're trusting in ourselves and not God. When we fall short, we're called to repent. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. So I got to trust God in order to do that. can the situation get fixed? Only with God. And so then I can hope. I can have hope because I trust in God. That God is going to work this out somehow. That God is going to work out that diversity. That as we speak the truth in love, that God actually has the capacity to bring about unity through that. As I humbly live in obedience to him, Trusting that His way is best. I seek that. I seek that believing God. I bear through that time of turmoil, trusting God. I put my hope in the promises of God. Because that's what this means. This is speaking about our focus. Is it on me? My abilities, my capacity, my capability, it better not be because I will fail. If your focus is on your capacity, your ability, you will fail. But if your hope is in God, you're trusting God, and so you're humbly walking in His ways, doing it like He says, that's how God brings unity. Speaking the truth in love. How do we equip the saints for the work of ministry? How do we heal? How do we tool up? How do we build up? It's by speaking. Not just by building fellowship. It's by speaking the truth. But there's a very specific manner by which we speak the truth. We speak it in love. So therefore, go and do. And where you have fallen short, repent. If you have sinned against another by not speaking the truth in love to them, repent. Confess your sin. Apologize. You've sinned against God and you've sinned against that person. And receive the forgiveness that God offers. Because God calls us to be holy. And every time we fall short, we're called to come back to him in repentance. Come back to him in confession. And then strive to make it right with those whom we have sinned against. Jesus died for these sins. Don't hold on to them. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for this passage on love. We thank you that you teach us here how to unify, how to draw together. Father, glorify your name in us, through us. Reveal how we are to interact, how we are to take diversity and create unity. May we live this out to the glory of your name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.